Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Fake News Friday, September 23rd, 2022. That part's not fake news. We like to just throw you a little nugget of real news, even if it is as small as just getting the date right, which to be honest, I, CBC, I don't even think could land that on a lot of days, which is why this show exists and why we often have so much material to work through. I am Andrew Lawton with you for the next however long this takes, joined as always by my colleague Harrison Faulkner, host of the fantastic show Ratioed on True North. I just set the stage. I, I, I'm always aware of generational gaps. What does Ratioed mean? Ratioed, for those that aren't aware, is basically when someone on social media, usually it's about Twitter, but it's when the like to comment uh, ratio is totally out of whack. So there's more comments than there are likes on a tweet. That's usually the the telltale sign that you missed the mark, Andrew, or you've or you've uh, you, you've you've made you made you, somewhere you've made an error in your tweet. Uh, that's so we basically just made a show about that to try and mock uh, a lot of the people that do this, particularly on uh, in the media space. So it's turned out to be a bit of people have found found it to be quite interesting. I, I was informed there wouldn't be math on this test, and now you're talking about, like, ratios and the like-to-tweet index and all of that. So uh, you explained it very well on your show. So for those who hadn't watched it, wanted to give you a little bit of a primer there uh, because it's useful. Some of the tweets that we'll be talking about today, I believe, have gotten the old ratio on Twitter. And let's begin. I know it happened last week now, but this has been, like, as far as a fake news-themed uh, show, this has been the gift that keeps on giving. If you haven't heard the, the most famous geopolitical global vocal piano bar solo yet here you go Yes, shockingly, this is real life. It's not a fantasy. Uh, I don't know if we're caught in a landslide, but we're certainly caught in something if this is what our Prime Minister is doing when he's overseas representing Canada at Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's state funeral. It wasn't at the funeral, at least. I mean, even Justin Trudeau would be a little bit... have uh, <laughs> just a little bit too much self-awareness to do that. But two days before it, in the piano bar of the Corinthia Hotel, belting out uh, the... Queen track, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I should say, first and foremost, that my issue is not with the Prime Minister singing. Stephen Harper did that. He did a duet with Yo-Yo Ma on stage, which I thought was quite good some years ago. The issue is, I think, what's causing it, which is Trudeau wanting to be the center of attention and also the time and place, which is on a state visit for the Queen of Canada's funeral, the former Queen of Canada, I should say. So all of that out of the way, the, the focus, I think, shifts from Justin Trudeau to the media. And we saw, as you can see on the screen there, the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, Fox News, all of them understanding what this is and, and understanding why this is a problem. UK, US, Australia as well. But you look at the Canadian media, the parliamentary press gallery members, the people whose outlets are receiving that $600 million bailout, and they're the ones not only saying they don't see an issue with this, but actually taking aim at people who do. Well, we've been doing the show, Andrew, for I can't even I, many months now, and by this point, I, I've come to expect uh, what we what we usually get from the legacy media. But I have to say, when I was watching this whole 
story unfold in the in the legacy media in Canada, I was actually surprised at just how far they were willing to go to defend Justin Trudeau over this. It surprised me how shameless they were in defending the prime minister, the man who, of course, pays most of their salaries, not all of them, but most of them. And I just thought, look, this is, this is obviously perfect. This is cannon fodder for Fake News Friday. This is exactly what the show is all about. But it's, leave, it to the, leave it to Canada's legacy media to be the only ones who don't understand what's going on here. It was only the legacy media journalists in Canada that couldn't figure out A, what was wrong with this, or B, why they, why they shouldn't be defending it. Of course, the legacy, or not the legacy media, but the tabloid press in England and the Americans, of course, made a meal out of it. And uh, of course they would, because it's just, it's, it's perfect. You've got, you've got Justin Trudeau going full Freddie Mercury there, you know, acting as though no one in the world can see him. And he just really embraces that inner drama teacher of, uh, and, and just goes for it. It's just embarrassing. But again, leave it to the legacy media to be the only ones not knowing how to approach the situation. I think everyone in Canada saw that and thought, yeah, yeah that's yet another embarrassing moment for our prime minister. But it was the legacy media, Andrew, who wanted to do this whole elaborate, you know, scheme to defend the prime minister, multiple layers of defense. When one layer of defense failed, they moved on to the next. So we, they started off by saying, of course, that no, Andrew, this is a fake story. The, you see the, the, the cars in the background, the length of his hair, it's not quite right. It's got to be from the Jubilee. Then when that turned out to be fake, then of course they went to the whole idea of it. It wasn't Sunday. It was Saturday. It wasn't the eve of the funeral. It was Saturday. That makes it all the better. And then when that, when that didn't turn out to, uh, to stand with the Canadian people, with the rest of the world, then they decided to say, Andrew, that actually it was in tribute. The Queen, uh, it was in tribute to the Queen. The oh, Minister no, you skipped one there because originally they tried to like do the Zapruder like analysis, as you mentioned. So, oh, that bus in the background. Yes, I don't exactly. know if that's recent. But then they, they did, Global did the big fact check on the location because the original tweet that blew up on this, and I don't know where they pulled the video from, said, oh, this was at the Savoy Hotel in London. And then Global News is like fact checking it. They're like, no, it's at the Corinthia Hotel in London, not the Savoy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that totally made... I mean, that that would be like when Bev Oda got in trouble uh, years ago for having a $16 glass of orange juice at the Savoy Hotel. I would love for the conservative uh, defense to that have been like, um, no, she had a $16 glass of orange juice at the Corinthia Hotel. Yeah, exactly. And the worst part of I think that's what you do. I'm trying to be sassy. Is that how you is that how you do it? I think, I think. But yeah. leave me well, in this case, it's the CBC. Could you imagine the CBC going, No, actually it was the wrong hotel. Bev Oda was not drinking at the Savoy. That's how absurd it is. It's this idea that it's the media doing it for him. Yeah. And I was saying this I thought I thought about this uh, yesterday on Ratio, which was, you know, Imagine one of the journalists at the Daily Mail or one of the journalists in the UK or US calling up their friends at the CBC or CTV. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that some of these legacy media journalists have friends. So imagine this a journalist from outside of the country calls him up and just says, what are you doing? You guys look ridiculous. This, this, this like Soviet-style, North Korean-style defense of the prime minister saying, oh, this, this drunken scene was in, was in tribute. He was toasting Canada's late head of state. Exactly, right. And then the last line of defense, when, again, that one didn't stick with, can with Canadians, was, ah, Andrew, it's not a big deal. Why are we getting up in arms about this anyway? No, no problem at all. Yeah, I like this tack because it's interesting after you've spent a considerable time and effort and energy fact-checking it to be like, well, it doesn't really matter, I guess. It's like, well, then, then why were you fat? Like, why were you talking about it? Why were you investigating it? Why were you uh, trying to look at like the tile pattern on the floor to figure out exactly which hotel lobby this was in if it was no big deal? And there are a few examples of this. Aaron Wary at CBC. I refuse to believe that anyone truly and genuinely cares about the prime minister singing in a hotel lobby on 
Saturday night. Uh, that was, I think, a great example. We saw a lot of that from people. And you look at, again, the foreign reaction versus the Canadian reaction. And just like Justin Trudeau's India trip, the world sees what I think a lot of Canadians see, and the Canadian media refuses to see it. I mean, this clip from Talk TV in the UK, I think, is very telling. Since then, I've realized he's an arch-narcissist controlling yes. fascist sociopath. Mm. Oh, that's no, that's well, enough I mean, reasons there. Just but... as well he became a politician then, uh, <laughs> yeah, because that's so exactly well the qualifications that you need. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the specific reason I'm making him my plank is actually I am doing this on behalf of Canada. Mm. There have been 500,000 tweets in the last couple of days all saying Trudeau must go. Yeah. Now this has gone, it's gone viral, it's a, it's a great Twitter trend. And what people are doing is saying who they are, what they do, mm. and saying that their views are too extreme for Trudeau and Trudeau mm. must go. They're mainly objecting to the vaccine mandates. Yeah. You know, Canada's still living in this kind of viral handmaid's yeah. tale world yeah, where you can't there? go anywhere unless you're vaccinated. Well, they've got all of them, and they're okay. all still completely straight. And so the thing is that he kind of projects this image of being really reasonable, and he's he's popular, but. Twitter trends don't tell a lie, and he's got half a million tweets from his home country saying he must go. Now, I mean, Laura Dodsworth was absolutely spitting fire there. I'm not saying that singing Bohemian Rhapsody makes you a narcissistic, controlling, fascist sociopath, but the whole point is that the Canadian media just refuses to accept that there is another side to this so often. No, exactly. And then I think, Andrew, one of the funnier clips we got was from Greg Gutfeld at Fox News when he said he'd rather take Hunter Biden as president of the United States than Justin Trudeau. Watch this. Some want to throw him in the pokey for his weird attempt at karaoke. <laughs> While Brit's hearts ache, Trudeau parties at a wake. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, otherwise known as a poor man's Gavin Newsom, He's <laughs> being accused of disrespect for singing Bohemian Rhapsody in a London hotel lobby while visiting for the Queen's funeral. Canadians are too nice to criticize him, but we're not like that. You know what? This is the worst example or the best example of nepotism ever. He only got his job because of his last name. His dad was prime minister, right? Mm -hmm. His, you know, whatever. Who cares? Right, but... but I take Hunter Biden as president over that fool. <laughs> oh. Yes, I would. Oh, no. boo yourself. Boo yourself. No. No. Don't turn on me. Don't turn on me. So, Andrew, we see Justin Trudeau going full Freddie Mercury, full as, you know, acting as if no one in the world can see him. And, and luckily for him, if he didn't have the legacy media in Canada bought off, I'm afraid it would be a lot worse for him. He would get the, he would get the treatment that he's getting from the rest of the world. But luckily for the prime minister, uh, we can say that he doesn't have to bear the brunt of the of the legacy of the international media when in Canada. Well, in keeping with the Freddie Mercury theme, we can say the Canadian media are going Radio Gaga for Justin Trudeau. <laughs> In this, this, this next story, Andrew, I thought was, you know, just another example, I think, of the legacy media trying to, maybe it's taking their job too seriously. But when I first saw it, I thought, they really think Canadians are stupid. They really, ha they really look at Canadians as though they're, they're almost like children. They have, to, they have to speak the obvious to us when we know what we're looking at is, is, is jokes. It's, it's, a, it's a fake meme. So there was, a, there was a, a fake tweet of Justin Trudeau going around that I think almost every single person who saw it, maybe barring a couple, knew that it was fake because it's a picture, it's a screenshot. It's not that difficult to understand what you're looking at. The, the 
the, the supposed fake tweet from Justin Trudeau read, It has come to my attention that hashtag Trudeau must go has been trending for more than 24 hours. This is nothing more than the work of Putin and the CPC in an effort to discredit me. This is precisely why our government has committed to regulating and censoring Canadian online content. So Andrew, I think the majority of people who saw that knew exactly that it was fake. When After reading the line about Putin and the CPC, I'm hoping that everyone at that point realized, ah, this is a good joke. Uh, they're just they're just poking fun of the prime minister, but of course the legacy media journalists I just don't think are connected to the people that they supposedly serve the people they write for they think that we're really that stupid So they do the whole fact check army comes out in full in full force You got the AP you've got the you got Reuters coming through and then you've got Mercedes Stevenson and some of these other legacy media journalists in Canada writing this, you know, this is a fake tweet, everyone. This is not real. The Prime Minister didn't actually write this. Of course he didn't, Andrew. Mercedes Stevenson wrote, There's a tweet circulating that appears to be from PM Justin Trudeau talking about the hashtag Trudeau must go. Mr. Trudeau never tweeted it. The tweet is manufactured and it's going viral. One online literacy simple trick. Check the actual account's timeline. Wow, thanks for that. We really needed that lesson. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I, I'm, I'm conflicted on this because for, for starters, I think there's nothing in this tweet that Justin Trudeau probably doesn't think. So in that way, it may actually be uh, entirely believable, even if it's not the way that, you know, he would normally communicate because it's clear and you understand what he's saying in the, the tweet. So it must have been fake. However, I have seen this proliferation, especially in the last few months of just manufactured news story headlines, manufactured tweets that go around. And people do. I don't know how many of them. I don't know what percentage it is 10 15 20 people do believe these things and and part of it has become has been because we're in the period right now in which satire is just so misunderstood people think just making something up is satirical but it's not i mean satire has to have a little bit of intelligence it can't just be fake so people do believe in this and i, I did see people that shared that tweet thinking it was real because this is a guy who has talked about uh not tolerating the unvaccinated it's a guy who's called his political enemies a fringe minority with unacceptable views, who's called people that protest him um, racist, misogynist, neo-Nazi, swastika flag waver. So I, I think to a lot of people who may not be the most technically literate, this was actually believable. Now, I, I do think you're right about how the fact check army devotes so much attention on these things and not others. So there's a, a selective fact-checking when people are spreading misinformation about conservatives. I, I genuinely believe that they're a lot slower on the uptake to do it. But at the same time, I also don't think it's a, a negative thing when something like this is circulating. If there is any ambiguity, if there's any reasonably sized contingent that's believing it to say, hey, this is nonsense. But you should just say that and then move on. Yeah, I think we'll, there's a good debate to be had here. You're exactly right, Andrew, that of course, we can't really be having fake statements from world leaders that are obviously fake, but are being believed. I mean, obviously we need to do something about that and there needs to be some sort of, uh, there needs to be some sort of, you know, checking of it. But of course, there's also that whole idea that when I read it, when I see it, it just reads to me as though these people need to be educated on the most basic things. And maybe that's just because we have different, you know, we have well, different... It, yeah, there media. is a lot of dumbing down to people, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so why don't we just move on to the next story here? Because this is a, such a perfect example, in my opinion, of the tricks that legacy media try and put on, pull on Canadians. They do these little things where they, they play certain... Uh, statements in their articles, they play with the headlines to trick the reader into believing something that isn't exactly as it reads as a headline. So CTV came out with this article and the headline is Justin Trudeau slightly favored over Pierre Polyev for prime minister, new poll. 
So when you read that, you probably think to yourself, well, the liberals are, uh, you know, they're edging up past Pierre Polyev's conservatives. You probably think that more, more Canadians are willing to vote liberal. But the problem is, actually, that's not the case. Because if you read past the first couple headlines, it says very plainly that 28% of respondents to the poll said they would cast a ballot for the liberals, and 34% of respondents said they would park their vote with the Tories. Now, I'm no mathematician. I know we talked about math earlier on in the show, Andrew. I'm no mathematician, but when I read that, it appears to me that more people in that poll would vote for the conservatives than the liberals. So why exactly they think they can go along with the headline of Justin Trudeau is slightly favored over Pierre Polyev for prime minister when, you know, the numbers itself say that the liberals would have fewer votes than the conservatives obviously speaks volumes. It's only 11 paragraphs into the story, Andrew, where they, fi where they finally say that in a preferred prime minister poll, in a, which, a, which doesn't actually matter that much, in my opinion, on the national scale, preferred prime minister, Justin Trudeau edges Pierre Polyev by two percentage points. So they're playing tricks with us there. It's classic fake news, in my opinion. It's, it's just exactly what they've been doing for many years now. This story is actually, I think, a test case in how media bias can work because what they said is not inherently untrue. The poll does say that, but it also says what you know and what I actually think is a more reasonable and more useful metric that more people would vote conservative than the liberals. It's, I mean, there was that old meme that circulates every now and then of like two people staring at a number on the ground and one of them is convinced it's a six and the other is convinced it's a nine. And uh, the, the premise of that is that, well, you know, both people can be right. It depends on your perspective. And then the retort to that is, well, no, one of them is wrong, even if they don't know they're wrong. Like someone put that down there knowing it was going to be a six or a nine. And here you've got multiple people that can look at the same poll and draw wildly different conclusions from it. And, and I think that, you know, the headline could be, you know, voters favor Justin Trudeau, but would vote conservative. Like, what is that? Like, that's actually, I think, a very useful and very concise headline. Or you could even talk about how, you know, Pierre Polyev is still introducing himself. There are a number of ways to frame it, but just picking one or the other, which is what media does here, gives a very skewed version of this. And I, I actually think this story in a way could be taught and should be taught in journalism programs because uh, you do have a poll that has an inherent contradiction in it. And it's amazing how media like to just pick the one that benefits them the most and use that. Well, the journalist, you're exactly right about it being a case study and it should be studied in journalism schools. The journalists knew exactly, as you said, Andrew, they had two, they had really two avenues to go with the story. Well, three, really. They could go down the middle and try and blend the two together, as you said in the headline. Or they could take the one that counts or the one that doesn't count. They knew that the, the opinion polls of the preferred prime minister, which really mean nothing when it comes to the ballot, they knew well, that, that... Yeah, if you're prepared to vote conservative, but you're like, ah, you know, I guess yeah. I'm not sure about Pierre, but it, I vote it, conservative anyway. That is almost more useful. There, there, there's no room on the ballot to write your thoughts about the leader. It's just <laughs> a, you just circle the name and that's it. That's all you get. So they knew, however, that the preferred prime minister poll itself was not as important as the vo voting choice. That's why they put it 11 paragraphs down into the story. But they chose to lead with it in the headline. That, I think, speaks volumes to where the legacy media is coming from, what they're prepared to do, and just how willing they are to try and play tricks on the audience. And I think that's just, it's, it's just, it's not right, and I think that... It, 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 it happens all the time. That's why we talk about on the show, there's a bias of omission. There's also, uh, you know, there's also, I, I consider it to be bias of placement in the article. Most people will never get 11 paragraphs into the story because they're busy. They're doing other things. They want to skim the headlines and get the story there. I just think it's, it's a classic trick that the legacy media play and more Canadians should, 
should be aware of it and they should get called out for it. So I'm glad we're doing it on this show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Got to go back to the Queen's passing for a moment here, because uh, certainly we acknowledge the disrespectful nature of Justin Trudeau's solo. But the takeaway, I think, from this show has to be that he has not been the most disrespectful to her late majesty's passing. That award goes to the Hill Times, where columnist Erica Ifill gets right to the point in her headline, the Queen is gone and I'm glad her reign is over. Now, you look at that and you say, okay, well, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit on the nose. What does she mean? Is she just talking about transition? Is she just talking about, uh, you know, not being a fan of the monarchy? Well, her tweet is a little bit more pointed. Good morning. Well, good morning to you too, Erica. How are you today? I wrote 1,241 words about the Queen and how I'm glad she's dead. Good riddance to bad rubbish. This goes out to those who have been inundated with lies and deception regarding the greatness of this monarch. Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Like, this is <laughs> a fight that no one asked for right now. Even people, even the IRA, were more respectful of Her Late Majesty's passing, given the fact that she was a tremendously popular woman. She accomplished great things. And this point that Erica is attempting to make here doesn't even go down that road that everyone goes down of, well, I like the Queen, but I don't love the monarchy. And yeah, the Queen was fine, but colonialism bad. She's like, you know what? That evil B word is dead, and I'm glad she's gone, and screw all you that like her. You've all been lied to. Like, like not only is it an unhinged position, but it's one that it's like devoid of knowledge, devoid of historic context. And if you read the column itself, which I, I don't recommend, but if you are if you can painfully make your way through it, it isn't even supported by anything she's saying. Like she actually doesn't even know about what she's speaking. She just has this hot take of, I'm glad the old lady is dead. No, exactly. And and I, will, I should say, if we think that the headline which the Hill Times have run with was the original headline proposed by Erica Eiffel, then, uh, then I think that's Yeah, that's an editor's headline. Exactly. That's not a columnist headline. The editor headline. came in and said, okay, here, let's just take out this ridiculous language and let's just write something a bit better as a headline. Because when you read the article, she immediately goes to the very worst accusations. She says that you know, this is for all the people that have been inundated with lies about the Queen's greatness. Well, if you're, if, if you're sick and tired of being inundated with lies about the Queen's greatness, how about you read this Hill Times story where, you get, where it's chock full of mistruths about the British Empire and about this Queen. I should note as well, Andrew, that no point in this article does Erica Eiffel bring up the residential schools argument. So it's a Hill Times story. It's a Canadian publication. She's a Canadian herself, but she's not talking about the Queen's reign in Canada, which is odd, I found to be. Instead, she decides to actually, in a, in a in really a disturbing, in a disturbing way, she decides to defend the Irish Republican Army, who who assassinated Louis Mountbatten. She says the Irish Republican Army did us a solid when they eliminated Louis Mountbatten, who is the architect of the partition of India. So she 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 immediately defends the assassination of a high-ranking member of the royal family. She says that the British Empire raped their way to the colonies. Again, no evidence to back that up whatsoever. And she basically says that, uh, that these people are evil um, and that she has no interest at all in, 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 in celebrating their life. Um, I, I, don't know, I don't know where to go with this other than to say this is just a, a, a really a disgusting article, a, 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 something just chock full of, of mistruths. And really of this almost, it's almost really an unhinged diatribe 
which ventures quite close, in my opinion, not to a criticism of the queen or of the monarchy, but in fact of, the, of, of almost white people, because she actually says it here. The same empire that initiated a calcified and, and calcified a political, administrative, and socioeconomic structure that put white Anglican Christian men on top to rule over gender, class, economic, and racial disparities. And then she writes, ask yourself, where would Britain be without the sugar plantations of the West Indies, the tea and the spices from India, and they still can't cook? So it's really, Andrew, not even necessarily a, a cogent and, and, and detailed criticism of the monarchy of Queen Elizabeth. It's just this unhinged diatribe about the British and I think really of the of, of larger of the people that uh, are get, consider themselves to be monarchists, that consider that consider themselves to be royalists. It's it's shocking, and I can't believe the Hill Times even let this be published. No, I mean it doesn't. I mean it's the Hill Times. Like this is where I go to find well, out like enough. the boring yeah. <laughs> stuff, not like the crazy stuff. But I, I do want to dive into a couple of the. Uh, I guess in the broadest sense, points, but I use that word very hesitantly that she she tries to make here because most of her grievances are with colonialism itself, and I, I mean that and that has nothing to do with Queen Elizabeth II, who presided over a great period of decolonization, and also by, by the way, British Empire uh, ended slavery before anywhere else in the world did, so I think that's an important point that oftentimes the ahistorical set forget. But nevertheless, talking about Queen Elizabeth II, Erica Eiffel acknowledges that Queen Elizabeth II presided over a period of decolonization, but her, her criticism is that she didn't like single-handedly go in and start cracking skulls to end apartheid, when even uh, you know people like Nelson Mandela and those who did work tremendously to end apartheid in South Africa do not blame Britain for that. They don't blame the Queen. The queen. So, so that in and of itself is a, a bizarre point. And then she makes this quote that supposedly came from the Queen, but if it if you read the source material, it's not actually clear the Queen ever said it, and that's about uh, the International Civil Court and acts of enslavement, and I, I don't want to get too down into the weeds here, but she goes on further and further and further, and there isn't actually an indictment about the Queen who was the monarch in a time of constitutional monarchy when Britain had a government, when the Commonwealth did not actually exist in, in the form it is in today. And I think that there is a, a big problem when you get people that just want to jump up and down. And it's not to say that the Queen has not had her share of criticism from other people. Like, I don't think this is going to be the thing that, like, destroys the Queen's legacy. But I do think it's important to note that, like, there is no argument to this. So it's like, if you're going to come out with the hot take that, you know, the Queen was a terrible person, it would be nice to actually try to support that thesis. But you can't. But you actually can't. And I think that's the important point to, to note here. Yeah, exactly. And I want to just highlight this other point. As you, as you mentioned, she talks about how uh, the British Empire heavily influenced, constructed an international law at the time, the slave trading countries. It's the globalization of the white supremacy hustle. Britain and its European brethren are the original architects of white supremacy through the path of slavery, colonialism, and imperialism, and benign authoritarianism. So my only thing, as you said, Andrew, the British Empire abolished slavery well before everyone else did. And if this is how the British, uh, if this is how the British Empire and uh, the monarchy in England are viewed, then I shudder at the thought of what Erica Eiffel thinks about the United States or about some of the African countries, as we all know, who facilitated the, the slave trade. So again, if this is her criticism of uh, the British royal family, I can't imagine what she has to say about the Americans who took many years to abolish slavery afterward, and of course the African countries themselves who played quite a role in that slavery too. 
Yeah, very well said. And we always try to end things on a bit of a lighter note, especially after this one. It's been a, a rather heavy show. Uh, what do you got for us today? This is a sports story, so I'm not even going to try to take the lead. So what a surprise, guys. This one comes from the CBC. I know, shocker. And the story, the headline is, Toxic masculinity is part of elite hockey. We need a culture shift. So this story comes from this woman, Alexis Peters, who I guess is a, studies toxic masculinity in hockey or in sport. Very, uh, you know, sort of bizarre. Is, is that like, you can you do a degree in that now? She I don't has recall a PhD that as like she, an she, option when I was picking my courses. Yeah, well, she writes about her academic credentials in this piece. In fact, she leaded it in the sub-headline. I did my PhD on this problem 23 years ago. Let's hope the message gets heard now. So this woman does some sort of, conducts some sort of study where she has, sends out a questionnaire to, I guess, junior hockey players, Ontario junior hockey players, and the results, she says, are, well, she doesn't say this, but I imagine in her thought, the, the results she, get are, she gets are, are, are horrible, sickening, gross. So in the article, they find that these hockey players between the ages of 18 and 22 score notably higher than my control group on the hyper-masculinity scale, as measured by three concepts. Danger as exciting, violence as manly, and more calloused attitudes towards sex. So what a surprise. Hockey players have a da view danger as exciting, violence as manly, and more calloused attitude towards sex. Quick, we must cancel Canada's hockey. Canada's sport of hockey are one of our national institutions. Ridiculous. And this all, it all stems, Andrew, because we, we find out at the very beginning of this story, it all stems from this... I guess you could say the continuation of the story of the junior hockey players and the sexual, uh, the, the group sexual assault accusations and the findings and the investigations going on right now, which, in my opinion, have been used to take, to represent a few bad apples in the game and have decided that we're going to use it as a representative of the entire sport. Any young Canadian who plays hockey, you know, is going to be tarnished with this bad brush. I don't really know why they're doing this. I don't know what this whole urge to do this from the legacy media is exactly, but I think it's very clear that they do take an issue with hockey. They don't like the fact that uh, it's a group where Canadian men have a view danger is exciting and violence is manly. I just don't get it. Hockey is the one with the puck, right? That's right. It is the one with the puck, okay. not the one with the. Uh, that, not the that, one with I the mean, ball. I, look, I don't pretend to be a sports guy. I know like woke insanity, so I guess I can weigh in on this story slightly in our closing moments here. I, I think you are right, Harrison. They don't like the idea that this exists, and they don't like the idea that there's a, a, a legitimate outlet for people to have a bit of aggression. They don't like there's a legitimate outlet. I mean, it's the same people that take aim at oh, boxing and UFC and all of these other things, but they don't realize that there are biological incentives for men to engage in this sort of activity. And in fact, I think we should be very grateful that as a culture, we've evolved to such a point where people can get out their aggression in safe, organized, controlled ways and not by, you know, just killing each other in senseless battles and senseless conflicts. So I agree. It is absolutely horrific what's happened to uh, some people at the hands of, of individual bad actors. And if there are organizations that as well are bad actors, then that needs to be dealt with as well. But you can't just like malign a sport and a sex because of it. So uh, very well said. That is, I think, the last sports story I'm going to do for a while. I hit my quota for uh, for the year, so I'm good for the next, uh, at least until the end of 2022. Uh, that does it for us. You can catch Harrison's show Ratioed on True North every week. You can also catch my own program, The Andrew Lawton Show, a few times a week as well. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning in. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.